foot enthusiasts, minimal footwear lovers, or anyone trying to fix your own feet, I'm heading to North Carolina this May to lead a live, in-person, three-day retreat all about feet. I'm going to be at the Art of Living Retreat Center, which is up in the mountains of North Carolina. It's so beautiful there. And are you ready to hear what I'm calling it? The retreat is called Healing Your Soul, a stepwise approach to building forever functional feet. That's so good, right? If you want to learn all about how to take care of the muscles, bones, joints, fascia, and nerves of the feet, and learn how strong feet and ankles relate to sustainable hips and knees, this event is for you. In addition to the classroom and movement time with me, you're on retreat. So there's delicious meals, a nature-rich campus that you can explore on foot, and plenty of time for rest and relaxation, all included. A retreat is a perfect way to care for yourself in the moment, but also in the future. You are coming to learn a massive toolkit of information. So whether you're a competitive runner, a dynamic ager, or a healthcare practitioner, this is a weekend full of movement for you and your feet. And like I said, you're gonna leave with a toolkit and a big swag bag that you can use to train your feet for life. For more information about the movement sessions, the food, the center, head to my website, nutritiousmovement.com slash retreat. That's nutritiousmovement.com slash retreat. This is Katie B, and you are about to listen to an early episode of my podcast. Now the show is called The Move Your DNA Podcast, and you can find all episode transcripts and the show notes to this episode at nutritiousmovement.com slash podcast. Enjoy. Says podcast where movement geek Danny Hammett, that's me, joins biomechanist Katie Bowman, author of Move Your DNA, for discussions on body mechanics, movement nutrition, natural movement, and how movement can be the solution to modern ailments we all experience. Okay, so today's show, I'm going to start with a letter, even though it's not a mailbag. Switching it up. You're a rule breaker. I know. <laughs> Are you ready? This letter's for you. Okay. People just, yeah, they always send you letters. I don't know what's up with that, but I guess you're the biomechanist. Okay. This is from Jenny. Dear Katie, I'm not saying you claim to heal this. However, I have recently been told that I may have endometriosis. I tried doing the Down There for Women DVD, and I'm so pleased. This was the first period I've had in so long that I was not bedridden for at least two days. Wow. I know. Also, most of the pain I have been having has been quite minimal since starting these movements. Thank you, thank you for sharing this knowledge with the world in the way you do. It's nice to watch an alignment video and laugh. She should record a podcast with us. <laughs> yeah, thank you. That's funny. This may be new agey, but I notice when I do something that moves a certain part of my body that I haven't moved in a while, I become emotional. While opening up this part of my physical self, it opens up some of my spiritual self, I feel. Now for my question. Would you be able to explore any possible link in between doing these types of movements and the healing of a chronic ailment such as endometriosis? Thank you, Jenny. All right, Jenny. Well, thank you for the thank you for sending us the question. She sent it to us, really. 
I know she did. I'm just giving you a hard time. And here's the weird part Hmm. about this. This question came in like two hours. Before this pre-planned show. I mean, we planned the show months. We knew... We knew our yeah. topic. Yeah, we knew our topic today and what we we're going to talk about. And then this this came in. And I'm yeah. like, whoa. Well, and, I, and I'm glad you started the show with it because I don't know a better way to give what we're going to talk about context. So this is, yes, this is an entire show about menstruation, period. Mm-hmm. I know. <laughs> I know. It's so bad. But I want to say right now, any non-female listening to this show all the way through is going to get some major props from Danny and I. Like high fives, virtual high fives. Mm-hmm. Especially especially cool. if you're someone like who considers himself an anatomy geek or a human movement specialist. You can't avoid the human movements that make you uncomfortable. Like you, it's all it's all part of it, you know. If you are working with men and women, then you should know just about all the things that basically allow us to make more men and women. So, so we're going to talk about menstruation. So menstruation, I was thinking about like, what's the best way to frame it? We have some context, but I think you can think of menstruation as a movement. It's a movement that makes, and I'm going to talk about the movement in a second, but it's a movement of a body part and many, many parts that make human reproduction possible. I'm going to explain soon, shortly, about the movements that make a period. But what I am more fascinated with, or just as just as fascinated with, is how whole body movements will affect this other movement that creates your period. Like what actually, what makes your period? Like we're gonna talk about that in a second. Yeah, because I don't think it's fully understood. I mean, just even the stuff that you've sent me in the past or that I've read, it's like, oh, really? I had no idea. Right. And and I, I think that's because there's sort of like this taboo about <laughs> sure, it. Sure, sure. Um, and even between, it's like, of course, we don't talk about it at dinner parties, but it's even in more intimate settings like mother, daughter, you know, or girlfriends. Between girlfriends, it's kind of not always discussed. And there's like this aura of taboo and mystery, you know, about it, like the red tent. And we're not going to get into why that is so, because that's a whole other show. That's a show with a different set of expertise than we have. Yes, that's more cultural. But we can discuss like some of the issues and truly wonders of menstruation. Well, P.S., there is a great, there's a great story. I will find you the link. It was on an American Life it was, you know, This American Life is a, another podcast, maybe the top podcast mm-hmm. in the United States, you know, second to Joe Rogan. But he, um, Ira Glass, like they have maybe it's like five or seven stories of like just things that are just so crazy, make you laugh, just strange things. And one of them was a story involving a period, a dinner party and a small dog. Oh man, I'm in. You I definitely think we link. should link it yeah. in the show notes. Just that. that's for the adventurous listener. Ooh, okay. Yes, it's funny, but it's it was like they put it out there. So we like we're just gonna take our cue from this American life, like all other cues. Yeah. <laughs> we'll put it out there. All right. So let's say just a good place to start is to remind everyone just how awesome menstruation is, like why it matters. To all of us, like you mentioned in the beginning, men and women, because if it wasn't for periods, there'd be no people, period. Right. So it's of, of human interest. It's a human interest story. Absolutely. It's not a it's not a women's health story. It's a human interest story. Exactly. Go for it, Ira. Tell us how 
A part one, act one, tell us how a period works. Okay, so how a period works. This is a kind of an anatomy blast, but the uterus is an organ that has, I'm going to say two hunks of layers. Each layers are comprised of other layers, but there's a muscular set of layers and then there is a non-muscular set of layers. So the myometrium is the is that outside muscle that gives the uterus its shape that you're used to seeing okay. that you're used to seeing, you know, every time you look at your uterus. Um, <laughs> so that it looks the, like it looks like a little steer head kind it of, is. you know, in those drawings. When I was you say steer head when I was deep in the heart of Texas. in pre-calculus you know, you're learning sine and cosine graphs where you have like zero up, zero down, mm-hmm. you know, and you're making those waves. So I, there was a, oh, I can't remember if it was a sine. It must have been a cosine wave. And the teacher's like, what does it look like? And I was like, a uterus. And I said that out loud oh, in, in 10th grade because that's what it looked like. I oh, must man. have already, I already was seeing the world through the female pelvic organs. So anyway, the myometrium is three muscular layers. So when when you think of shunting blood to your fun parts when you think of the work that moves the baby out that's being done by the myometrium and it's interesting an interesting note and this isn't a blog post we can link to it that I wrote a a few years ago the myometrium the layers of muscle are oriented like if you think of your abdominal muscle fibers you've got diagonal fibers that go in opposite, you know, your internal and external oblique. So they're diagonal, but they're diagonal in opposite directions. And then you've got your rectus abdominis up and down and your transverse abdominis. The three muscular layers of the uterus are all oriented differently. Oh, it's kind of cool. It's like in between your ribs, your ribs are the same. You've got your internal and your external intercostals and they're all at different angles so that you have leverage in lots of different directions. So that's the myometrium. And then you have the endometrium and the endometrium is non-muscular, two layers. The two layers are the stratum. I pardon my Latin. I'll let it go this time. I I don't even, I don't, I don't know. I just know how I, when I read it, how it sounds in my head. Stratum, I don't know if it's base, I say basilis because I always think basal, basal, basilis, which is like that base layer. That layer does not shed. And then there is the part deep to that. So like you've got the uterus, muscle, 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 non-muscle layer. And then the innermost layer is the stratum functionalis, which is the part that sheds. That's the part that you're losing. That's a complex little bugger. It is. It's five five layers. You know, so we talk about the uterus. If you think about it as a single part, that's how what we call it as an organ. But there's lots of different things. There's lots of different movements on different levels. And so the stratum functionalis, functional meaning... Uh, maybe the part where things are happening the most functional. That's the part that you lose every year. So here's the, this is the process. This is the normal process of a period. Right before you get your period, blood vessels that go to the endometrium contract. So they're, they're shutting off oxygen to the, these linings, really the, the deepest lining, which is the stratum functionalis. So your body is withholding oxygen, which starves it and kills it. So that's ischemia. That's when things die from blood loss. So you are moving your blood vessels, constricting them to withhold oxygen. And then this layer starts to die. In response to this death, your white blood cells are released to process 
and remove the now dying functional layer of the endometrium, which is called desquamation. Desquamation. Desquamation is like like squamous, like you're getting rid of it, right? So you get your little chewing cells, they go up and they are removing it. The white blood cells, they secrete digestive enzymes that are breaking the dead tissue up in that process. So if you imagine you have a lining, but you have blood vessels to the lining, there's going to be some overlap, right? You know, there's an overlap where the tissue and the blood vessel are sharing a common wall. So as the white blood cells are secreting this enzyme, as the enzymes are getting over this layer, some of the enzymes are also getting on the blood vessels that feed that layer just beneath the dying lining. And so you've got blood vessels that have lost a bit of their wall. They're freshly exposed and that's what's bleeding. Wow. I am dazzled by this little bugger now. I've been thinking about writing like, are you there, God? Seriously, man. I mean, I thought I knew some things. I know nothing, Jon Snow. Like this is, whoa, I am going to invite a uterus over for dinner and ask questions because this is, (laughs) we're so cool. Humans are so Cool. That's your new answer. Like, who would you like to meet? Like, if you could spend, have one dinner with one person, you'd be like, it would be Elvis Presley's uterus. <laughs> Thank you for that. That was yeah. so cool, really. I feel like, oh are God. you there, God? It's me, Margaret, could have gone into the period a little bit deeper than just, mm. you know. <laughs> well, you know, and I explained it, like, to make it cool for my my own daughter, because I was like, you know, I didn't want her to feel icky or weird or anything. It's like, this is pretty cool what we do. But I just had the basics. Now, as soon as I hang up with you, I'm going <laughs> to go get her. I'm like, okay, with my whiteboard, here's what's happening. <laughs> you just thought grab this a was, nature. You, yeah, grab a neighbor you, kid. Grab a neighbor this kid. this was cool. Yeah, that, that'd be great. You thought this was cool before, but just you wait. Well, you know, I, for me, I like seeing how things in my body function similarly to things out in a larger scale. So in the post that I wrote about this, when the stratum functionalis is removed, there are some base cells that are left. And then from that, so it's like I said, I think in the post, I was like, it's like a a forest fire. A forest fire comes through and kills, you know, quote, everything, but it doesn't really kill everything. There's base cells. And from those base cells, it repopulates. So if you, your uterus is very similar in that way, you are, you know, a big hunk of an area is dying and shedding off. But what you're left with is really the potential for fresh new growth every year. So it, you would not want to not have that process happen because that process is part of what keeps that area extremely healthy and why you do it every month. So if you do choose to have a child, it starts in, you know, a very fresh healthy lining. So anyway. Wow. That's freaking beautiful. We, I'm getting choked up. I think we got to go on. No, seriously. <laughs> go on, go on. Okay. It's a forest. So there's more. So dysmenorrhea is when your period doesn't go as smoothly as all of that, or when there's this, when there's a delayed repair, right? So, so now you've got all these exposed blood vessels But what's happening? What's happening is then your body quickly goes in, fixes the blood vessel, lays down the new layer, fresh growth, and a healthy body will, that process will be very fast. 
But when you have lots of bleeding for a long period of time, then what's happening is your repair process is not functioning as it should. And what they have figured out, and we can put links to some of the research in the show notes for people who want to learn more. Um, When the white, sometimes the white blood cells don't stop breaking, they don't stop at breaking down the functional layer. They're chewing through more blood vessels than what they're supposed to. Like they're not, like the amount is, the amount isn't being regulated well. Does anybody know what causes that? I'm curious. It's white blood the white, let me see if I can kind of, I think it's, I think it goes like this. When, as the functional layer, as oxygen is withheld from the functional layer, that those cells produce a protein called hypoxia inducible factor, HIF. I wrote about this in the blog years ago. HIF is what stimulates that those cells to regrow. Mm. But the amount of HIF, hypoxia inducible factor, is varying between women. So the more HIF you produce, the faster you repair, the less you bleed. The less you produce, the more you bleed. The slower you repair, the more you bleed. So um, one of the things that's of interest, and you can hold it in your pocket for later, mm-hmm. is that... There has been some research showing hyperglycemia, too much blood sugar is interfering with the function of HIF. So like, I think that, go ahead. Does it, does it, do you know, does it lessen it or? or yes, it, it, it's, 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 it's affecting its, I don't know if it's less or more, I don't know if it's like an absolute or a relative amount that if it fluctuates, but it's the hyperglycemia seems to be maybe associated with dysmenorrhea. And I was looking up some of the stats for the show about dysmenorrhea. It's like, of women have primary dysmenorrhea, meaning like they're, they have a period that is functioning within the range of abnormal. What was the percent again? 50%. That's huge. And I actually think that maybe the research cited 50 to 80% because they're, I mean, have a hard time nailing it down, but it's, it's huge. It's not like 10%. It's that it's like a red flag, right? And move your DNA. We talk about red flags and Mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm, um, in graduate school, pelvic health was kind of my interest. The pelvis was my interest. And so I find as a human, like from a biological perspective, things, red flags around reproduction. Like I, I really pay attention to red flags around reproduction. And so to me, dysmenorrhea is a large one. I'll talk about this in a, in a second, but I want to add one more one more component to this because I'm thinking back to Jenny, Jenny, that was her name, right? Jenny's question, mm-hmm. you know, she was like, oh, and well, I had this kind of painful period. Like I'm bedridden for two days and a lot of women are. So with desmenorrhea, one of the reasons it's such a big deal is because it's not just heavier bleeding. It's lack of, of work time or production time. It's pain. And you're usually taking medication. It is a normal biological function that's going awry, that's requiring medicine, right? So these right. are the fact that you can treat the symptom. Like monthly doses. It's a monthly Consistent. dose of, yeah, for some people it's pain pills. You know, it's not just Tylenol, but pain pills. That was another letter that we got a long time ago. So it's a it's a big deal. So what they have been able to establish using a Doppler radar is women who are experiencing painful periods, they're not only having problems with blood flow around their uterus during their period, they are people who are are having 
blood flow about their uterus all of the time, meaning that population of people with compromised blood flow is the population that experiences issues. And so that's, you know, when I think of things like endometriosis, dysmenorrhea, I think of them more as symptoms rather than like, I have this condition. It's like, well, you, right, right. Your, your uterus is not living in a vacuum, right? Hopefully. <laughs> if, your uterus if your uterus is in a vacuum, take it out I'd immediately. Like to see that. Exactly. I shouldn't judge. I feel like we've already had this conversation a long time ago. But <laughs> didn't we like verbatim? Like, I, I'm having... I don't know. It, it always debases itself. It's just the way that it goes. It's why why we always got to go there? It's entropy. It's entropy. It's a... <laughs> the show blows apart every time. Um, but yes, yeah, so, so going back, circling back, it's like, okay what are the movements of the whole body that what are they like and then therefore you know movement the the movement of blood so i talked about period being a movement it's it is a movement of blood it's the movement of repair but you could have large sedentary hunks of your body and maybe you could have a sedentary uterus but maybe other parts of your body around the uterus are also sedentary. And what we know about movement and blood flow and distribution and cellular adaptations to movement is you could have some large hunks of sedentary cells, you know, about especially the female pelvic organs. And I, that's always been kind of my entry point, you know, that pelvic list and strap mm-hmm. stretch and calf stretch and pelvic tilt and, hamstring and quad strength and mobility of the hips. Like I've always kind of been naturally drawn to that area because I feel like, again, as I put in move your DNA, that the function of the pelvis and the pelvic organs are a really good indicator of the whole ecosystem of how the whole body is working. That's like a keystone species. Like if you're familiar (laughs) of any ecologists out there, like the pelvis is like a keystone species, like a carnivore. How is it doing? You know, if it's not doing well, then it's, you know, some intervention might be. And might we be made need there. those keystone species. We need it. But they definitely help. They help Absolutely. for sustainability. I, I live next to a prairie dog preserve and people are always <laughs> complaining about them. But it's like, but then, you know, we wouldn't have the hawks and we wouldn't have the foxes. I mean, all this stuff, it's just like you can't just obliterate them because then say goodbye to all sorts of stuff. So it's important. I got to backtrack a minute when you just talked about like the pain and, you know, what people are dealing with on a monthly basis. Did I make this up or did they just in Great Britain move to pass some sort of leave for workers for period pain? I don't know. They did. I think they did because I make stuff up all the time. And that just seems like beyond my scope of creativity to make up. So I'm going to look that up. But I think, yeah, that's actually like moving it into legislation as as people being able to leave every month because their period pain or dysmenorrhea, I guess, would it be? I did, just, yeah, dysmenorrhea. I just did a quick search while you were talking, and I, I do see some articles UK UK companies. So it's just I don't know if it's okay, written not or legislate. Okay, no, it looks like. Just individual. Some company has maybe Nike introduced menstrual leave in 2007. Oh, wow. Wow. Just do it. My goodness. <laughs> so, yes, they've given them menstrual leave. Okay. Um, so, so you didn't make it up. I mean, it's not a country, but right. it is a company within a country. And maybe other companies are following suit. Cool. So what else? Okay. So, well, um, I have I have just a couple small period facts. Okay. They're not nearly as um, awesome as yours, but just 
And says you. She says me. All right. Well, I'm not, I was sorry. I was just down on the floor squatting. When you when you said that, I was like yelling up to the microphone. I was like, said you. That's cute. Yeah. It sounds like you got up on your toes. Do you really mean it? Ugh. All right. The average age for a girl in, to get her first period in the United States is 12. But the range is anywhere from 8 to 15. And women usually have periods until about the age of 45 to 55. Oh, none of that exact. I was 12. You were 12. I was 11. I'm average. Average. Yep. My daughter was 11. I was 11. And yeah, that's about the extent of like when I think about, you know, what we all basically know. It's so simple what we know about periods. And, you know, I guess what we believe are the biological implications like, well, I get cramps or I have to deal with this blood every month or I feel oogie or whatever. It's not really the whole story. No. And, um, <laughs> and I, I know I, we were talking about this earlier cause I kind of was adding some pieces in here. So it's like you go to school and there's these biological knowns, right? Like everyone gets their period and women come with all of their eggs and like all these things that you learn. But it was maybe a few years ago that I came across an article, a research article on, like, I, I always just, I forget to consider other cultures. To me, you know, I know that furniture sitting is a cultural thing, but a period must be kind of, you know, shared across humans, right? But then, of course, you find pieces on hunter-gatherer populations alive right now, or people who live you know, radically different lifestyles than I do. And that you see that what was the the one that will link in the notes, because it was the one that I could pull pretty quickly without much of a search, is that modern Western women have four times as many periods over a lifetime as hunter-gatherer ancestors. Four like times. So wow. one of the so it's not a month like this idea that we have a period every month. I so, think what the whole, the whole world is not on a 28-day cycle. I mean, is, no, that is crazy no, because, again, no. that's my in-the-tank thinking. I'm like, oh, it's just... 28-day cycle? Sure. Right. That's like, And that's in your anatomy book, right? Again, the call for anatomy books are really need to be clarified to be the anatomy of whom living how, right? Because... You know, we should just do, like, Fight Club and sneak into universities <laughs> and start remarking up all the anatomy books. Like, the heart isn't the only mover of the blood, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> Just do our own little addendums. Yeah. And I also saw that modern Western, like four times as a hunter gatherer and then triple for women of our same descent, but only a hundred years ago. I don't have the source for that one too. So I, I think, I think it has a lot to do with the abundance of food. When I was in a sports medicine class, amenorrhea, you know, was an indication of someone who wasn't getting enough calories, an athlete usually who wasn't getting enough nutrients. But again, you know, the nutrition perspective, it's like, well, what type of nutrients are we talking about? So in populations that have, you know, refrigerators and grocery stores and super grocery stores, and also a lot of sugar in almost everything that is eaten, that is really, you know, the population that's having the particular types of periods that we're talking about. Maybe it's also the population that is experiencing quite a bit of dysmenorrhea. So when we look at what are those biological baselines, I like that 
quote from Diane Fossey, and she's like, when you're trying to troubleshoot an issue, you have to like, what are the baselines before? Like, what are all the baseline activities of an animal? Because if you don't know anything about that, how can you save one? So if we're talking about a period being its own animal or a uterus and the, and the uterus isn't doing well, it's like, well, what is the baseline of input that it needs to, to be functioning, to just be functioning fully, you know, functioning well, you don't have to have a super uterus. So do you think back to that thing about the, you know, our hunter gatherer ancestors having a lot less periods or even modern, you said hunter gatherer popul- mm-hmm. populations have it. Do you think that's just the body, protecting not protecting itself but just it's like well i can only issue so much you know i have to go through this process every month or i have to go through this process when this happens and i wonder if it's just the relative difference in the nutrition because it's not the movement right well i mean it's radically different between the two it's radically different between the two groups of people so no one has really investigated what the difference is why why would a 24-year-old, you know, dugong woman only have, you know, five periods a year. And why would someone over here, you know, but. but I just wonder because I don't know if you were ever told this growing up, but, oh, well, women need to take iron or eat more, you know, stuff with iron in it because we bleed. And so I spent like the first 25 years of my life (laughs) thinking I needed to take an iron supplement because I was born this way, you know, (laughs) I mean, it's just, so I'm just wondering if that's kind of, or is that just well, I would. I mean, I don't. No one ever talked to me about my iron. However, if you are experiencing, and and it's kind of hard to say. Like that word "natural" is hard to like. Yeah. What's natural? But well, let me go back for a second. Okay. If I imagine that it wouldn't be feasible for a female animal, a woman, human woman in this case. Um, to become pregnant all of the time because food sources would vary. I mean, there's like a natural pregnancy cycle to lots of different animals. This depended on food availability and that would vary throughout the year, but also perhaps through particular seasons of years. If you are already have a baby, you know, like that's where that whole Mm -hmm. kind of natural pregnancy suppression through breastfeeding comes. I imagine that that has that that I imagine <laughs> I, was, I, was I can say, say firsthand. Sure I can say yeah. firsthand as someone who was nursing, <laughs> who also got pregnant at eight months while I was nursing and not menstruating. That that probably has to do more with food regulation. Like that, there's a whole natural relationship. This will come in handy when we're talking about movement ecology. That there's a, a natural relationship of like biological rhythms within people and also within where they live and how they live. So you just have, I mean, you're able to get pregnant and support more pregnancies when you've got a grocery store. Mm, okay. You don't have to do That's, any physical labor, right? Like it just, right. it's, it all makes sense. And so, you know, I don't know if getting more periods is necessarily unnatural or if it's the natural response to the habitat in which we are in. And if you are bleeding that frequently, it could be very well that your supermarket God, supermarket. When's the last time you heard that word? Supermarket <laughs> diet maybe uh, doesn't have. I, I heard it down at the dime store the other day, but <laughs> the dime carry on. Store. <laughs> Sally uh, Forth. That's right. We were playing our jacks on the sideboard. <laughs> anyway, that your iron could be pretty low. I mean, if you're bleeding that frequently, maybe there is a relationship between the types of foods that we eat, the quality and the types and the quantities and what what they're made, the nutrients, and bleeding so frequently that. Uh, 
I wouldn't automatically say that you, that but you, you answered my question about that. I was more concerned about the frequency and just yeah. trying to, I phrased it in, in a way that, but you, you answered the question about that, that it's, it could be based more on, you know, the nutrition and the surrounding stuff than just. Well, yes. and it's interesting. I first started looking into hunter gatherer and menstruation populations when there was a big push a few years back for a particular, maybe it was a birth control pill that suppressed your periods and everyone was sending it to me. And the big support of it was actually this document, the support, the medical support for suppressing your periods. So this particular medication was, it's not even natural to have a monthly period anyway. Here are these women who don't have one. And so my comment at the time was, there's a difference between you living a particular way and not having this process that I was describing and taking a medication to not have this process. So I was just saying that, yes, it appears that not having like that, not having a monthly period isn't bad for your health or anything. And it is probably how women have been for quite a long period of time, but to do it one way was not the same thing as doing it another way, which was my, my sole commentary on that. But that's when I started going, oh, hey, here's all these people. And also that women have started menstruating earlier, that the trend is it's getting earlier right. and earlier. And I even have friends who's, who've had and have also read stories about like daughters who started menstruating like below the ages of seven. Wow. Like really early and having, I haven't really seen anything more on that except having some physician friends like explain that perhaps they're thinking that it has something to do with the hormones that are in like maybe growth hormone or something that's in food. So I, I know that for my friend, her physicians told them to take her daughter off milk. Right. Which I was It's, like, it's so funny I because I that. always had fed my kids organic and growth hormone free milk because I had read that years and years huh. before I even had kids, but it's, it's strange. My daughter has developed at exact the same Spots as I have, and yeah. here I grew up, you know, guzzling. I didn't drink a lot of milk as a kid at all. I didn't like it, right. but but still, yeah, it's, it's hard to tell. I don't know. Well, I don't know. Like, there's just we, not that much known. Right. I think, do you have a movement break for our, was it uteri, uterises? <laughs> Uter, <laughs> uterinas? What is it? <laughs> the uterinas. That's only if they're twirly. No. <laughs> and actually, I was looking up right here, puberty before 10, a, a new normal in the New York Times. So I think if you're interested... Did they really say a new normal in the title? It said a new, quote, normal. Oh, okay. It did. Question mark. Question mark. Oh, phew. Okay. I was so, going to have to write them and say now. So no. she was started to go through puberty at age six. So I promise mm-hmm. I didn't just make that up. Okay. You can go and see what they're figuring out, why it is. Now I'm reading. Now we're doing a podcast right now. And like, I am just reading, reading an article on New right. York Times. I was like, just go ahead, Danny. Just, so he was saying I'd like to that, hear you lick your fingers and turn the pages, please. So it does. I'm on a computer. Oh, I'm not reading. I'm like reading the New York Times. I just found this 2011 New York Times in my thing. Anyway, so they're saying that extremely high levels of estrogen mimicking chemicals in food and water and supply. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I'm a, I did a squat and I'm just going to encourage everyone to do the same. You can squat and get up on your toes and lift your heels. You can hold on to something. You can sit back. You can turn your feet. I don't care how you squat. Just squat and then fidget in your squat meaning once you're down shift to the right to the left make circles 
in your squat. Like, um, you were just here at res week when I did an example of like those 1990 science exploratorium museums that we used to go to. There was one that had this pendulum that dripped paint and then you would push on it and then it would like, so I want you to do that. Imagine that from your squat is dripping paint and I want you to paint a circle in both directions. I'm going to go do it for a second. This is a seriously vivid picture. This is kind of gross. Just let those uterinas twirl, everybody. Oh, my hips, my knees. Only squat. There you go. So that was your movement break. So anyway, yeah. Excellent. Okay. Gosh, there's so many millions of questions. Well, I think that this is such a good, this is a good, I think that we could wrap this up in just a way of going, okay, now you have a sense of how it works and that, and maybe everything that you knew about your period might have been shaken up a little bit, which is cool. Definitely. Why don't we, we could do a call maybe for questions about this, but I think in general. Well, because I've got a handful, so maybe we should even do a second show after people have had a chance to listen to this. And ask some more in-depth questions. And think about this too, like your organs itself, you know, not only is your uterus not just floating in a vacuum, it's connected to other parts of your body and high pressures, you know, is pushing on it and squeezing things from the outside, preventing movement can be affecting the way your blood is flowing to and from and within your uterus. There are ligaments that are attached to other pieces. Um, The position of your body is going to change the position of your uterus. Like if you just stand here and tuck and untuck your pelvis, as you do that, you are tipping your uterus from side to side. So imagine this idea that your body if you've come to kind of terms with your quadra, your thighs or your torso isn't getting the 360 degrees of movement that it needs to keep all aspects of it working well, you can take those ideas and just put them around your uterus and to know that your uterus should be inside of a body that's moving in lots of dynamic ways and that that movement is part of what maintains not just the five layers of the uterus, but it's what moves Mm -hmm. things in and around and also the whole entire uterus. And that if you're sitting in an office, you know, six hours a day in a particular position and suffering from dysmenorrhea, I'm kind of talking back to Jenny again, what type of environment would you expect from an organ and a body really that has all the parts for movement and really has and movement is part of the caretaking cycle and part of the function of it. And did I do this before when I asked someone to like fill their mouth up with water and then do a handstand and try to swallow uphill? Mm -hmm. Gravity matters. It It really does matter. And, and you affect things like blood flow with the pressures and the positions that you create. And so just to consider that. So, and just like Jenny wrote, she started doing different stuff with her body and the pain starts to go away. And that's just, I mean, what what more do you need after that? I guess. Well, down there, it was just like, you know, down there, that DVD was five simple exercises really for hip mobility. Mm -hmm. 
so that you could put your pelvis in different positions when you chose to. It was like super primer, but the m- number of people who've written and I was like, I was taking pain meds, you know, every month. And like, I just did that and I just did that. And now I don't have painful periods. And then the new pelvic DVD, which has so much more, it's really just to. Well, you were, you dealt with painful periods. Sure. Which, I, I was mean, a, that was like a big, that was a big deal. I was a, I was never a, I was a two. I thought I was completely normal. So, I mean, I was the same as all of my friends. I just put that friends. in quotes. Yeah. Like, like the you. New York Times. Normal. Like the normal. <laughs> yeah. I was not a bedridden. I was not a miss work type period. However, I was a two to three Tylenol for two days, mm-hmm. bad cramps. And then I was fine. Up the night before, like I would wake up at 3 a.m. and I'd be up from 3 a.m. just like trying to deal. Never again. That never, I, after the, the strangest thing for me, like I started working on pelvic mobility and pelvic health probably when I was 27. I think I was 27 when I started graduate school and 26 or 27. Anyway, that's when I really started doing pelvic stuff and I noticed my cramps get less, but when they fully went away is when I transitioned out of heeled shoes. When I transitioned to minimal shoes, that was that was my last painful period. And that was probably 30, 31 wow. or 32. So that's my story. I'm sticking to it. It's a good darn story. Yeah. Well, I think since I think you're right, we should stop here, even though yeah. there's so many other things, because this will give people, myself included, time to just kind of think about this reframing of our little lovely uterinas. But <laughs> you know, listen to this and then just email in some questions. Just so you know, I have lots of questions that I want Katie to answer later on about, you know, like collection methods, because it's something we all have to deal with and some movements and stuff. But if something that we've talked about today really makes you, you know, you need to chew on a little bit more, just chew on it and then send in a question and we'll and try tweet and us. do this again. Tweet yes. us. Maybe they can just tweet us. Tweet us if you have a good Instagram of your uterus, you know, put that up there. <laughs> it's at nutritiousmovement.com. Oh, my God. But hashtag yeah. uterina. <laughs> hashtag uterina, twirling uterina. And and then, yeah, we'll have tons of links in the note. I mean, this is, like, so rich with links for this particular show. There's more to come later on, but just kind of. You should have said heavy with, with links. I'm oh surprised you didn't God. say heavy with you know, links. Okay, so I had this whole list of. <laughs> Fun things in that great savage period. And I, are you proud of me? I'm so grown up about this whole thing. You're so I just, grown up. I'm so grown up. I didn't do anything. In fact, even when you'd say period, I stifled my chuckles, my beavis and butthead chuckles. <laughs> That's good. You put because, a plug in it. You put yeah, a plug in it. You're because good. you'd say da, 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 period. And I'd be like, <laughs> I know. But I, pl- I plugged it up. Uh-huh. You did. Uh huh. Okay. Well, thank you so much. This was a real, real eye opener as always. High fives to every dude who listened. High fives. You know, and yeah. And even if you are, you know, been in menopause and you're no longer dealing with a period, I'm sure this had to have been just kind of a nice retrospective of, oh, that's what was going on this whole time. And Mm fascinating we are such amazing creatures we are bodies are amazing like I, if you missed out on being an astronaut become an internaut instead so yep. much yes, space call, to explore but i got i call them so, so monots so yeah let's get in and explore all right take us out of here
Oh, is that me? It's you. Dude. Is that what we're waiting for? I just went back to reading the New York Times. I was like, is she still talking? <laughs> I thought I heard you licking your fingers. Okay. Well, thanks. <laughs> thanks, everyone, for listening. For more information, books, online classes, etc., you can find me at Nutritious Movement. You can learn more at Danny Hemet. Are you there, God? It's me, Movement Warrior. And moveyourbodybetter.com. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye-bye. We hope you find the general information on biomechanics, movement, and alignment informative and helpful, but it is not intended to replace medical advice and shouldn't be used as such. 